Hello, I'm Regina Botras and this is Backstage, where we talk with the who's who on stage, in dance, comedy and performing arts, speaking with the leading theatre makers of our times and how they came to the stage and what drives them and inspires them. I am so excited to welcome my guest. It's Jane Montgomery Griffiths, an actor, writer and academic and expert on Greek drama and theories of performance. Uh, She's taught at Cambridge, Leeds, Melbourne and La Trobe Universities. She's acted with many theatre companies in the UK, including the Royal Shakespeare Company. She has performed and is performing with Bell Shakespeare Company at the moment. She's performed with Malthouse, Red Stitch, so many others. She's been seen on our stage and screen TV and heard on the radio and is here to talk about her latest role as Malvolia. Yes, that is my pronunciation for this role from Twelfth Night, a production that's opening tomorrow evening at Sydney Opera House from Bell Shakespeare. Please welcome Jane. Hello, Regina. Lovely to meet you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Before we get into this production of Twelfth Night, how did you come to be in the theatre or interested in the stage in the first place? Oh, look, that was an epiphany when I was a teenager. Um, So I was uh, in a a, a state school in England, sort of by accident. I ended up doing a class on uh, the classics in translation. Uh, I read Sophocles' Electra. Uh, It absolutely blew my mind. And so as an incredibly nerdy 14-year-old, I decided I had to learn ancient Greek so I could understand the play. And I had to become an actress so I could act her. And so that's the course of my life. Um, I went to Cambridge and studied Greek and Latin. I became an actress. Uh, I did end up playing Electra, actually. Um, So for 10 years, I was an actor and director in the UK. Then I fell in love with an Australian, so I moved over here. (laughs) And uh, because I didn't know anyone in the theatre business at all, I ended up doing a PhD and I ran the classics program, uh, the Latin and Greek program at Monash Uni for quite a few years. And then bizarrely, my career kicked off again with acting and playwriting. And and at the same time, I became professor of theatre at Monash Uni. So that was it. So I've always kind of juggled academia, acting, playwriting. It's a a bit of an interesting and eclectic mix, but it kind of all fits. (laughs) It seems to make sense. And in fact, I don't know, I want to ask if you OCD or something with that kind of need to know, like the depth. You should see my desk, Regina. You have never seen so much mess. I live in a permanent state of creative disorder. (laughs) Okay, um, but you need to know, it kind of sounds like you need more than just what you're given. Like there's this real need to like dig into a character or into a play or into the time, is it? What is it that you strive, strive for? Do you know, I remember my old, my old professor at, at, at uni saying to me that I was, uh, was awful. I mean, it was the 80s, so people could say things like that. He said, you're too clever to be an actress. And I thought, don't be ridiculous. It requires so much intelligence, not necessarily Mm. academic intelligence, but to be able to look at these words on a page and from that to develop an understanding of the psychology of the character, uh, the physicalization of the character, their backstory, the environment they live in. So it's a constant um, sort of synergy 
between really um, close reading and critical analysis and imagination. So I always do dig very deeply into my characters and I do go deeply into them emotionally and physically. Um, But that's what makes it fun. Yeah, totally. And I think that's a like a fickle kind of look at at the actor's role. Um, Let's jump into uh, Twelfth Night. What research (laughs) have you done for this? Set the scene for anyone who doesn't know. I remember doing Viola's, you know, speech when I auditioned um, way back. So it's sort of, you know, kind of familiar to me. But why don't you set the scene? It's the ubiquitous audition for all young (laughs) aspiring actresses. How will this fad? Okay, so Twelfth Night is a delightful play. Um... It's also a a complicated play and sometimes a problematic play. So it revolves around our heroine, Viola, who is shipwrecked on an island. She thinks she's lost her brother uh, in, in the storm. And she dresses up in boy's clothing and presents herself as a page boy to the Count Orsino. Orsino is madly and unrequitedly in love with the Countess Olivia. So he sends Viola to try to woo Olivia for him. Of course, Olivia falls madly in love with Viola, thinking that she's a boy, or does she? Probably thinking (laughs) that. Um, And then there's the subplot, which is what I'm involved in, of what happens below stairs in Olivia's court. So I'm playing, usually Malvolio is a male part, the male steward or the butler. I'm playing her as uh, the sort of personal secretary come housekeeper, um, who is also unrequitedly in love with Olivia and she is tricked into believing that Olivia is in love with her as a bit of revenge from uh, Malvolia's number two Mariah the lady-in-waiting Mariah and the drunken uh, uncle of Olivia Toby Belch so they trick Malvolia into absolutely preposterous behaviour that convinces everyone that she's mad. And so nowadays we'd say they get her sectioned. She's bound and gagged and stuck in a dark room and it pretty much destroys her. So that's where you get the light and the shade as it's a very, very, very funny play and a very poignant play about unrequited love and loss and grief. Um, But most of the play, it's laugh out loud and then you have this incredible sort of Uh, character arc of Malvolia who starts off as a repressed uptight housekeeper then discovers this this explosion of sexuality and then ends up as this kind of tragic character who's been totally destroyed by this mockery Um, Mm. having said that it is still a good night out at the (laughs) theatre I don't want to put people off here but it's unlike some of the other Shakespearean comedies where you just, it's just laugh out loud. There's a dark mm. side to this play as well. And in terms of Malvolia, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's just a wonderful thing to play. You know, I've got to that stage now in my life. I'm in my mid-50s, so most of the Shakespearean female roles have dried up. But what's wonderful about Belle Shakespeare is they have an absolute commitment to gender parity in casting. So... Um, for instance, the last thing I did to, for them was to play Bottom in Midsummer Night's Dream, but I played that as a woman. And then before that, I played Titus Andronicus at the Opera House. I played that with male pronouns, but very much in a female body, a naked female body by the end of the play. So they have no problems in saying to me, right, you know, you're too old for Juliet, but try this instead. It's, fa- mm. it's fabulous. 
Yeah, absolutely. But this is a kind of this is a play that has that kind of gender shifting, like you know, identity within it. Is this gender role reversal, or is that gonna? Because I, you kind of need a mind map to know what's going on from the beginning, <laughs> um, in a way. So is this shifting it again? In well, Heather Fairburn, our director, her vision, vision does shift it. So um, yeah, it is intrinsically a queer play by which I don't necessarily mean a homosexual play but a play about subversion of identity and gender identity usually you have a woman playing a woman playing a man in this production we have a man playing a woman playing a man so that is uh, an extra level of if you like um, playing around with gender performativity and it was Heather's desire to give a nod to the original performance conditions in the 16th and early 17th century when women weren't allowed to act on stage and so all the parts were played by boys. Um, but at the same time, in this production, Sebastian, who's Viola's brother, is actually played by a woman. So um, in terms of the queerness and the gender performativity of the Viola-Sebastian plot, it's... It's absolutely intricate. Um, I don't think that there's much... I don't think that having a woman playing Malvolia is a queering now. Um, three years ago, it wouldn't have made any sense at all when Viola was imagining marrying Olivia. Now, you know, I, I, I married my wife, my partner of 29 years. I married her three years ago. So now women can marry. So that's no big dish, issue at all. So um, it, there's... I think it's... We can make it the distinction between sort of the uh, homosexual love in the play, heterosexual love, queer love, and queer gender performativity. They're all quite different, but they're all actually inherent in the text itself. And they weave around each other. And the sort of discombobulation that an audience member might feel thinking, hang on, is this a boy or a girl? Well, that's actually what the play's about when it comes to yeah. Viola. So, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's both Heather's vision is both a nod to the late uh, 16th century, early 17th century, but it's also a recognition of shifting gender roles and shifting levels of gender performativity in contemporary society. Yeah, it's the perfect, it sounds, yeah, absolutely perfect. So what else is going on at that time in the 16th century? And is this also like costume-wise or the, I, I guess the sensibility of the time is that playing through the through the uh, production uh in the in the role of feste the jester the the fool um i think so so tomash cantor who plays feste has the most incredible voice and they are an extraordinary performer um and they are timeless so they're singing the music of sarah blasco which is really wonderful it's so you know i've listened to this i don't know how many times and i still get chills it's just fabulous fabulous movie and you, you cannot imagine how brilliantly tomash sings it so to have a uh, a non-binary performer dressed in sort of ish 16th century clothing that then gradually becomes more and more kind of uh, 20th century avant-garde or decadent, a bit a bit like cabaret. Um, I mean, you can imagine, you know, there's, there's sort of references to Alan Cummings coming on in there. So imagine Paul Capsis meet, meet, meeting Alan Cummings. Um, that's, that's just the start of it. So there are little nods to the 16th century, not a lot. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a timeless production. 
and so most of us are in contemporary clothing but the wonderful thing about Shakespeare is it might be for, you know, the, this is the 400th anniversary of the folio, which was the publication of his works. Um, this is a play that's 400 years old, over 400 years old. It still speaks so exquisitely to anybody who has experienced requited or unrequited love. Um, there will always be phrases, syntactical constructions, the odd word, going back to your audition speech, how this fadge, you know, people don't say fadge a lot, I think they should, <laughs> but that doesn't matter because it's okay not to get every word, you'll still understand yeah. the production and you'll still have a great time with it. Okay. Ah. Oh. I can't wait, really. Um, the music, talk to me about how that's being used. Like, what is its role in this? Is there music with the lyrics, or not the lyrics, but the words of Shakespeare? Yeah, for sure. So Twelfth Night is Shakespeare's most musical play. There are mm. four songs, I think, in it. Mm. Well, kind of a bit more if you, if you include a drunken revel. So Sarah has written all the songs using Shakespeare's words. Um, they are contemporary, you know, it's Sarah Blasco, but they're also melancholic. They're in the minor key, which sort of taps in with the timelessness of these emotions. Uh, and it's absolutely integral. So when Tomasz sits at the piano and plays the music or sings it, uh, just, you know, without amplification, it just goes straight to your soul. And let's just say the piano in this production plays a pretty crucial role, not just in terms of the music, but um, something happens in act four that makes the piano quite significant. I won't give that one away. It would be a spoiler. <laughs> Keeping that to yourself. Um, uh, so apart from the, it sounds like apart from the piano, there's no other instruments. No, no, just the piano. No. So you, do you get to sing? I have one line. I begged. <laughs> I begged Heather, the director, and Sarah if I could sing too, please. Please, 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 can I sing? I don't have a particularly tuneful voice, but it is loud and it is actually in tune, just not particularly melodious. They gave me one line, which I sing like um, Florence, F Florence Foster Jenkins. <laughs> so it's not attractive. Um, so no, I don't get to sing. Everybody gets to sing in the last scene, apart from me, because my character's pretty much been destroyed. So she's sitting <laughs> off the side of the stage. One day I will get to sing, live in hope. Is there anything that's like challenging? What has been the biggest challenge for you with this? Yeah, production? well, um, so I've done, in my career, I've done a lot of comedy, I've done a lot of tragedy, but this is the first time I've done a play that has both. So at the end of the first half, I've got to hit absolute heights of, uh, it's real heightened comedy. Now, Malvolia is so self-delusional, she actually doesn't know that she's funny. So as an actress, I can't play this as funny, but it is because she believes it. So um, that's one of the comic highlights of the play. Uh, whoever plays Malvolia, it's, I mean, it's, it's actually written in to be a comic highlight. Then at the end of the second half, um, yeah, I mean, every night I am bawling my eyes out, there's snot, there's tears. And even though I'm experienced enough that it doesn't upset me uh, psychologically, physically, my body feels every night that my heart's been torn out. You know, you know, it's like when you have a big cry, you feel exhausted, you feel tired. So I go through that every single performance. 
And there's not been one performance where that hasn't happened. Um, so that's my job. You know, I know how to do that and I now know how to self-regulate. But I do, I do, it is, it is tiring physically because of the emotional journey that she goes on. Um, but also it's such a great part that I, I want to do it justice. So, yeah, you go to those places. Yeah. How do you protect yourself from that sort of psychological engagement it's it's just experience now um when i was a young actress i would i would follow there's a i'm sure you know this but for the listeners there's a a um uh, acting teacher called stanislavski who was then misappropriated by the americans um, lee strasberg and a lot of the actors who have followed that method do get very mixed up because they go into their own emotions, they tap into their own dark places. It can be psychologically very dangerous. So I used to do that when I was young. And then I think when I got to my 40s, I just thought, this is silly. So now it's sort of, I, I just, um, uh, I activate certain muscles. It's a really weird thing, but I could, right now I could sit here on this Zoom meeting and I could just burst into tears simply by activating muscles. So it's, um, yeah, it's just a trick that you learn and, and that, that helps your mental health. It really does. I want to say go on then, Jane, but don't. Save it for the show. <laughs> we don't need a show now. It has been such a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, um, thanks for having me. Can't wait. And that was Jane Montgomery Griffiths from Bell Shakespeare's Twelfth Night playing Malvolia uh, as part of this production, which is opening tomorrow evening. And playing until the 19th of November. <laughs> <laughs>